and, and so I'm not, I won't belabor the point of this passage. I think it's pretty clear, uh, and, and I will towards the end try to encourage you all on how to find ways to find security, uh, to to ease the doubts. Uh, I, I don't think doubt is something unfamiliar amongst Christians in many areas. Uh, we all fall short, and it's, it's the reminder of what it is that truly saves us. And so the problem that we're facing in this church, and not in this church, but I'm saying in the church of America, <clears throat> is that too many people are, have uh, deceived themselves into what actually saves them. And so they stand before Christ like these do here, and they assume they're good, and they miss what it was to actually save them. Even, I, I don't know how they missed it. All right. I mean, after all, we did have, I won't say his name, a great theologian that wanted to get rid of James, the book of James, because James was emphasizing uh, how your works should reflect your salvation. And he just thought it was too much emphasis on works. All right. And so uh, but then you also have many, many Christians that are under the many denominations, even today here in Alabama, Huntsville, no doubt around the world that believe that your works are what it takes. And so let me, let me stick to the script. It, just because Facebook Live isn't holding me accountable doesn't mean I can do what I want today, all right? The passage is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus uh, has started his earthly mission after uh, being baptized. He was sent to the wilderness. You all remember that. And Satan tempted him. And he passed the test, of course. He's God, okay? And after this, he begins his earthly ministry, he calls his disciples, and he preaches in the, in, in the flow of Matthew, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Now, it's in the Sermon on the Mount that we get some of the major lessons within that sermon. I personally don't believe, and I'm sure many would agree, that this isn't word for word everything that Jesus said on that mountain that day. Uh, but we get the major lessons and the key points from that lesson, that sermon. Right, so we start off with the Beatitudes, and it, it goes down to Christ emphasizing that he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, all right? And then he goes on to give us the right view of how we're supposed to view lust, anger, divorce, promises, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the poor, and how to pray and fast. After all, the Pharisees had misled the people on so many of these points. And so they thought that this was the standard, and Jesus said, that's not the standard. And as high as you can think of, he said, that's the standard, right? You didn't murder anyone, great, but that's not the law. The law was not to hate anyone, right? You didn't steal from anyone, great, but that's not the law. The law was not to be jealous. And so they set the bar so low, and as a famous hip-hop artist, uh, Shobaraka, once said, life is a slam dunk when you're living with low goals. Or no goes. I can't remember which one he actually said. It sounds so similar in hip-hop. But he even talks about how to deal with anxiousness and anxiety. And he tells us not to worry. Not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to come, and it's going to have its own problems. But then we get to chapter 7. And, and the main topics in chapter 7 is people that are false judges, false prophets, and false disciples. And so you open up with Jesus saying, do not judge, and everybody's like, boom, I knew it. You can't judge. But he says, well, let me, let me qualify that statement. 
I'm going to tell you when not to judge and when you can judge. He says, you need, just need to be aware that the measure of judgment you judge others with is the same measure of judgment you'll be judged with. In other words, don't judge someone for something you're guilty of. Right. No, no one in here, especially if you've ever taught school, you don't have that issue. You don't have kids that saying, ooh, so-and-so is talking while they've been talking all day. You don't have that issue, right? You don't have your kids telling them the siblings for doing the same thing they did 20 minutes ago, right? And, and so you, it's not that you can't judge, but there's a standard by which you should be judging, and you should not be guilty of it. So Jesus goes on to say, how can you take, he, he belittles, he's trying to make the point here, right? How can you take this little speck of sawdust? It's really the word that it's, it's pointing to here. In this. How can you take a little sawdust out of somebody's eye when you got a whole tree branch hanging out of your eye? No, first take the tree branch out of your eye, and then you're able to rightly judge the other person to help get the speck out of their eye. And then we get to verses 15 through 27. And in that passage, we're warned of false prophets. These are wolves dressed up in sheep clothing, all right? Uh, so you can imagine Ryan here. Is that, that's a rabbit, I think. Is that a rabbit or a sheep? It's a rabbit. Yeah, but you guys have seen the cartoons, right, where the wolf is trying to steal one of the sheep, and so he puts on this little sheep clothing, kind of like what, I know it's a rabbit, but it, looks, it can look like a sheep too, like what Ryan has on. And he puts on the sheep clothing, and he walks, and he's walking, and the, the shepherd's looking, it's like, on the outside, it looks like a sheep, but sheep don't usually walk like that. They don't sound like that. They don't watch those TV shows. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, false, fake prophets, verses 15 to 27. You have fake prophets. You have imitation trees. Again, they look normal, but then they begin to bear fruit that is bad and diseased and filled with worms. You have these fake believers, uh, these make-believers even, right, these these people that are not true disciples, all right, and, and again, on the outside, we've read, on the outside, they're living right, they're saying the right things, and then we end chapter 7 with a faulty foundation. Once again, you have two beautiful houses, but it's when the storm comes, you realize this house didn't even have a foundation underneath it. It looked good, but it was dangerous. And so you have, once again, fake prophets, imitation trees make believers, and a faulty foundation. You, you know, looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. All of these illustrations that Christ gave us, 15 through 27, all these examples look normal on the outside. It, it, better than normal. They, they look exquisite. And it's not until a certain season of their life and existence happens that you see what is on the inside come forward. The prophets turn out to be in it for a profit. The tree begins to produce fruit that is moldy and filled with insects. The work, the believers' works were deceitful to others and themselves. And the house was built on a non-existent figment of their imagination's foundation. Verse 21 not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord. This, this is the Greek word here, kurios. We see it again in verse 22. On that day, they will say, Lord, Lord. It's the, the Greek word kurios. It can mean, I'll, I'll be straightforward. It can mean master. It can mean sir. All right. But by this time, 
this word was being used mainly amongst the Hebrew people in reference to Yahweh. It's, it's the same word that we find in the Old Testament, Adonai. Right? Adonai doesn't mean Yahweh. It means sir, master, Lord. Right? Uh, I know some of the guys, they, they like to take out of context that Sarah said to Abraham, my Lord, right? Adonai, my Adonai. And everybody's like, yeah, my wife needs to step it up. She just calls me babe. <laughs> and my wife walked out at the wrong time. Ah, she missed it. So, uh, so at this time, Adonai and Kyrios, Adonai being the Hebrew word, and Kyrios uh, being the Greek word, they mean Lord. And which is why when you read the Old Testament, right, Yahweh, in the English uh, author decided to go with the word Yahweh to be translated as Lord, all capital, because it was being interchanged at that time. It was the same thing for the people. They didn't want to use the name of God in vain. They didn't want to accidentally say, oh, my Yahweh. So they said, let's find another way. Let's just say Lord or God, right? So they said, oh, my God. Don't use God's name in vain. That's not his name. His name is Yahweh. I said God. All right, and so, and so they started doing things like that. So at this time, these people are saying, Lord, Lord. Jesus is really hinting to the fact that they're rightly acknowledging him as Yahweh. And what happens? They don't make it in. Shouldn't it disturb us a little bit? I said there's mainly two people that get this title, Curios, Curios. The other person is Caesar. Now, Caesar... At this time, they're under the Roman authority. He's the only one that's supposed to be called Curios. You don't call anyone else Lord. In fact, if you're found calling anyone else a title that is due to only Caesar, you can be killed. And so if I'm exploring this right, and I may, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate, so I'll find out in a couple of years what I'm wrong with right on this passage. But if I'm exploring this right, not only are they rightly declaring Jesus as Yahweh, according to Jesus saying not that they're going to say, Lord, Lord. But they're also putting their life on the line to say it. They're rightly calling Jesus Yahweh at the risk of losing their life. And they're not going to make it in. Again, that should trouble us a little bit. That their theology, their head knowledge, their spiritual intellect is correct, meticulous, on point, no cap. They got it right. They correctly identify Jesus as Lord, as God, and in hell they will lift their eyes. Why? Because knowing who Jesus is and knowing about Jesus isn't all that is required of us. You, you do know that the demons know Jesus, right? I mentioned that in the seven sons of Sceva, but remember Jesus is walking, the guy's been possessed in the graveyard, and they see Jesus, and the, the demons say, Lord, why are you here? This isn't your time. Don't, don't, don't send us to where we're supposed to be at ultimately yet because it's not time. Can you just send us to the pigs? They knew, his, they knew his authority and power. They knew, his, they knew his title. You don't think that Satan saw Jesus in his glory on the throne before he was expelled from heaven? 
James chapter 2, verse 19 says, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it first. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. A couple of things I kind of uh, imply from this. One, we don't shudder at the idea of who Jesus really is. But two, James is kind of saying, okay, you know God is one. You know there's a God. And is that, is that really it, he says? You think that's enough? Again, when I read that verse, I remember when I used to just go through the Bible. I remember I got to that verse. I'm like, that's a good point, James. <laughs> Like, like, there are people that want to acknowledge that God exists, but that's not, that's not all that's going to get you sent to hell. It's knowing that God exists and still not. What's the difference then? Well, the difference is between knowing about God and knowing God. Quick question. And children, you feel free to join in and answer this question. Anybody here know LeBron James? Anybody know LeBron James? Ah, no, LeBron James. Mmm, smart crowd. Anybody know about LeBron James? Ah, see, knowing LeBron James implies that maybe you can call him on the phone right right now and just see how he's doing. Maybe, but it can imply that you met him before. You've had been out to dinner with him, or just visit. You met his family. I. At least I'm assuming. You can correct me and boo me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming no one here knows LeBron James. Now, I know a lot about LeBron James, all right? I know the school, high school he went to. Uh, I know the teams he played for. I know when he won the championships. I know the, the I Promise school that he started. I know that the first wave of students that graduated from that all graduated and were accepted into a college. I know about a lot of things about LeBron James. The problem is I don't know him. And so some of the promises he's made to people, I don't know, they don't apply to me. I don't know him. Some of the favors he do for people doesn't apply for me. I don't know him. I don't know me, you all know this, but he's hired just by every last one of his friends and they become successful. And so instead of hiring outsiders, he hired his own friends. Guess what? I didn't get hired because I don't know him. Dang it. The difference is between uh, is between knowing about and knowing. Another difference is the believing in and believing. Uh, the demons believe in Jesus. In other words, they believe he exists. They believe he's the son of God. They believe he has power. The problem was when God was speaking throughout the eternity of heaven, they didn't believe him. And there's a lot of people that believe in the Bible. They believe in God. They just don't believe it. They don't believe it. We can, I can prove throughout history that Jesus actually existed. Believing in him isn't a problem. But he said a lot of things that you must believe. And that's what we have a problem with. That's what we have a problem with. And, and so not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father. Now we've got to figure out, well, then, how we're going to get in. What's the will of his father? What is the will of his father? And I will get to that later. But let me tell you what it's not. It's verse 22. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many, another troubling word in this passage, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? 
Did we not do mighty works in your name? Their rebuttal is their works. You don't get in unless you do the will of my father, but look at my works. And listen, the works they named, they're not trivial. They're not close to being minute. Listen, these are some amazing things being done, what? In his name. These are people that you probably are envious of, that you find yourself saying, I wish I was as spiritual as this person. I wish I was as close to Jesus as this person. I wish I had a ministry flourishing like this person. The, the, the things that Jesus mentioned here, I would, I would say, are on the top of many people's list of things you can do for the kingdom. They, they prophesy. This, this Greek word implies teaching and even foretelling the future accurately. Accurately, whenever we're using this word, it's going to be accurately. That they were casting out demons. And the Bible is clear that demonic possessions are real, that they, are, they, they, they cause the problem sometimes of mental and physical illnesses and disease. Whether we see it or not doesn't mean it isn't real just because we don't see it. But the Bible is clear that both demonic possession, all right, and the casting out of demons is real, and these people are doing it. So they already got at least 90% of the PCA beat. (laughs) Don't worry, Richard, we're not live streaming. And they did mighty works. Now, the, the Greek word here is dunamis. It's where we get the English words dynamite and dynamic from. It gives you an idea of the works that they're doing. They're doing dynamite works. They're doing dynamic work. They're doing very powerful, strong, mighty works in his name, Right? They went on two to four mission trips every year. They played key roles in church plantings. They went to Bible studies at church and at school. They went to college seminaries, uh, Bible seminaries and colleges. They led worship. They waited until marriage. They stayed faithful to their spouse. They supported ministries and missionaries to their time and finances. But no matter how dunamis your works are, They cannot and will not save you. We are saved by faith alone. Now, let let me be clear. Faith never comes alone. Your faith is going to come with works, right? When you believe, you're going to start acting different. I, I, I get you're supposed to come to Jesus as you are, but once you meet him, you're not supposed to leave as you are. Ah. Your faith should be reflected in and by your works. So your works aren't useless is what I'm saying here. After all, when you read the verse right before this passage we're going through, right, verse 20, he just got to talking about the tree. What did he say? You will know them by the fruit they bear. So this isn't a sermon about getting rid of works. I think James was spot on. Their rebuttal, verse 23, I mean verse 23, their rebuttal is their works. And Jesus' response is their relationship. 
My brothers and sisters, I cannot think of anything scarier than to hear he who knows all things say he does not know you. Is it possible, and I pray it isn't, is it possible that some here today are in the presence of the omniscient God, know all things at all times, and yet you are outside of his knowingness? Impressive enough, when I typed that word up, it didn't correct me. I thought I made up a new word. It's been a word the whole time, knowingness. Is it possible that some here today are in the presence of the God who knows everything at all times, and yet you are outside of his knowingness? Well, I get your question, and it's a great question. Preacher, isn't that a contradiction? Right? Isn't that a clash of truths inconsistent to say that God knows all things, he's omniscient, and not know someone? That's a great question. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says, To say that God is omniscient is to say he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. He goes on, but it's more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. Let's give you a quick definition of omniscience here. Omniscience here. So how is it possible that the God who has never learned and cannot learn does not know you. It's because this knowledge that Jesus is talking about, I never knew you, this knowledge isn't intellectual. It's intimate. For God to know in this context is not in reference to intellect, but intimacy. It is not Rational is relational. He wants you to know him, and God wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. The people in this passage, the people described here, they are shocked, perplexed, confused. And in the midst of their befuddlement, They exclaim, look at all we did for you. And Jesus' response is, but I was never with you. Jesus says, you walked for me and not with me. You spoke about me and not to me. Not only that, but you stayed disconnected from my body. You claim you like me, but not my bride. You needed me, but not my church, capital C. The works added up, but the relationship was missing. And listen, we can only judge you, us Christians, we can only judge the legitimacy of your faith by your works. That's all we have to go on. But only you and God knows how the relationship is going. I have close friends. That on the outside, they were saying and doing the right things. But behind doors, we had no idea of the abusiveness they were, that was going in that relationship. We had no idea the infidelity that was going on in that relationship. Because all we can judge is, how are, y'all, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. 
holding hands, feeding each other cakes with with a spoon or whatever. I don't know. I don't do all that, but whatever that stuff is. Christ is clear, y'all, that our theology and deeds alone will not get us into heaven. I'm doing my best to emphasize that to you all because no one will be able to walk away today saying, look at my works. Why am I not getting into heaven? We must do his will. And so the rest of this sermon is going to be a lot of Bible verse reading. If you guys can just bear with me and just listen to me read the scriptures because I think the Bible says it better. And so from this passage where he says, you don't get into heaven unless you do the will of my Father, and then we get to the end of the passage, and he says, the reason you didn't get in is because you didn't know me, I then conclude that his, the will of his Father is for us to know him, right? to know and enjoy and glorify him. The village church got it right. It's as if we had people that really love the Lord write that out. And so what is his will for us to know him? Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. And he goes on to say, but thus says the Lord, let he who boasts boast in this, that he understands and know me. We've been boasting in the wrong things, y'all. We've been boasting in our political parties. We've been boasting in the college degrees we have. We've been boasting in how pretty or handsome our spouse is or how smart our children are. And none of that is good enough for us to get to heaven. Psalm 46, you guys know Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Jeremiah says once again in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, he says that there is going to be a time that he's going to put the law, his law within the people, and that I will be their God and they will be my people. And then he says this, There will be a time that you won't have to go preaching, know God, know the Lord, know the Lord. You won't have to preach that anymore, he said. He says, because they will know me. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying. Uh, We call it the high priestly prayer. And verse 3, Jesus says this to his father as he's praying, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This passage emphasizes knowing him, having a relationship with him. And we find throughout scripture how our relationship with him, how our love for him is shown, how it's manifested, how it's demonstrated and confirmed. It's easy. Obedience to his commandments. That's the only way we can show truly that we love God. Well, why would you say that? How do you conclude that? Because Jesus said it. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Y'all just hang in there. We'll finish these verses out. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is. Who loves me? John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
1 Corinthians seven nineteen, Paul says, circumcision counts for nothing and uncircumcision counts for nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He says, the only thing that matters is keeping the commandments of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And by this, here we go, we know that we have come to know him. How do we know we have come to know him? If we keep his commandments. The next verse says this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. John, 1 John goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. <laughs> 2 John, verse 6, is only one chapter, says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. We're at the end of the Bible now. And what does it say? Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Because the people we read about in Matthew, they did not endure. They did not make it well to the end. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. What is that call? Who are these enduring saints? Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Reverend Lee. You're talking about knowing God and showing that by keeping his commandments. What are his commandments? Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 10, what is the greatest of the commandments? And what he did was he decided to just make it easy for all of us and summarize all of the commandments. He's going to summarize all the Ten Commandments and all of the Law of Moses by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and Leviticus 19, 18. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's dealing with idolatry and how not to commit it and social injustice, how not to treat people less than you're supposed to treat them. Every time Israel was in trouble, you all know this, every single time they got in trouble and punished by God, it was because of either idolatry and or social injustice, meaning they did not take care of the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the immigrant, the poor. I end every class when I taught high school with this phrase, take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. We agree, it seems, that idolatry is evil, but we do not actively seek out those things we have made idols. I would say the same things over again. Your, your political party, your, your football uh, team, and, and the passion for your football team. Those are, in America, two of the, uh, in the south of southern America, yeah, that's different than South America. In southern America, those are the two main things that have blinded the Christian church. And so we put God and his word on the back burner on the last, it's in the very back behind all the sports teams my child has to play, all the extracurriculars they have to do, and me spending more money to hold my political candidate win by supporting them than by making sure the church is able to go forth and serve the community. And I don't know anybody's tax record, so I'm not calling anybody out. So you can't walk around saying he's talking about me. So we, we, we agree idolatry is evil, but we don't actively seek out those things we have made idols, such as our spouse and our 
failing in our relationships with our children. We have put so many things before God. That's idolatry. We agree we should love our neighbors, but we have a very difficult time agreeing who is our neighbor. Who am I supposed to practice social justice with and towards? Let me read a few more verses and I'm done. Jeremiah, he's talking in, verse 20, in chapter 22, he's talking to the sons of King Josiah. Amos knows this passage very well. And the, Josiah was a great king, but his sons were terrible. And Jeremiah says, do you think you are a king because you can compete with cedar? In other words, you got bigger houses or whatever. You think that makes you a king because you got finer things? He says, did not your father, Josiah, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness, and it was well with him? What is this eating and drinking of justice and righteousness? He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it went well. And then God says this in Jeremiah, still chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. Is not this to know me? Depart from me, for I never knew you, and you didn't know me. What is it to know God? judge the cause of the poor and needy. Isaiah 58. I'm just going to read a few uh, sentences within verses uh, 6 to 12. The people are crying out in this, in this book, in this chapter, why are you not acknowledging our fasting? Why do you not see our fasting and approve of it? Right? You guys know fasting and Lent, uh, doing all that stuff. Why are you not acknowledging this? And this is what God says. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them? That's, God says, true fasting. James says true religion is what? To take care of the orphans and the widows. But let's just throw that all out the window and say that true religion, true fasting, is to make sure that we have the right candidate in office. Since when has that helped the church? Since when? Micah 6, 8. You guys know chapter 6 very well. The people are frustrated. God, why won't you receive our sacrifice? What do you want? You want us to kill some more animals? You want us to pour thousands of rivers of oil to you? You want to cut our own arm off or offer up a firstborn child? And Micah responds, he's already told you what he wanted for you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him, to know him. We're, we're trying everything else to please God except for what he's already told us. Now, I'm, I'm going to end it by saying this. This here in chapter 7, isn't an issue of people losing their salvation. The problem with this, these people here is they believed they were saved to find out they weren't. And the scripture is pretty consistent with that. That when you see someone fall away and they don't ever repent, it only shows they never were. So now you're walking away wondering, how do I know I'm good? How do I know I'm in a good relationship with God? It's simple. Keep praying. Keep reading the Bible. That's communication. Right? What, what relationship you, you've ever been in that you guys have worked out things without talking? 
right? Your spouse don't talk to you for three months, and then their car breaks down, so they pray to you. Does that, is, that a, is that a healthy relationship? No, it's called a sugar daddy. And the Bible is not a holy ATM. Spend quiet time alone with God. Andy Mineo said, if Jesus retreated to spend time with his father, then I know that I need it. If Jesus had to spend quiet time with the father, you are not better. Being in a local community of believers, we are not supposed to be cut off from the body. And if the body can exist without you, it only shows you were never part of the body. Well, if you can exist without the body, it shows you probably were never part of it. But we need everyone. We need the hands, the feet. We need the fingers, the heart, right? We need the legs. We need all of it. Jesus is the head. We need everyone. Pastor uh, Rick Warren, I don't know how you feel about him, but regardless, he has these points to say. He said, ask these three questions. Do I refuse to admit things that I have done wrong in the past? This is how you know, he's saying, if you're in good relation with Christ. Am I ignoring any of God's principles and commands? And do I really want God's will for my life? After all, that's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. So my brothers and sisters, here's how you know if you're in good. You figure it out and do self-examination. I can't know. I can never know your heart. That's between you and God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I, I myself should be disqualified. That's what I'm trying to stop right here. This is my day that I was like, I'm going to do it. I don't want anyone to have been on that many mission trips, to be on that many session meetings, to be on that many community service, and then you find out you yourself are disqualified. And I'm not picking on PE teachers. But that's what happens with a lot of coaches and PE teachers, right? They make sure everybody else is in condition, everybody's in shape, and then you look at them and say, well, what happened? That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. Don't be a trainer and then end up being yourself out of shape or out of relationship with God in this, in this situation. Paul continues to say in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That's on you to determine and to make sure. Don't fear doubt, y'all. Do not fear doubt. Doubt should push you closer. After all, you can't doubt something you don't believe. And again, I'm glad that the camera wasn't working. This was for TVC. This was for the village church. This was for me. Take Christ more serious. All right? I have yet to meet a soldier or, or a great athlete who said their coach let them put whatever it is they had to do off to the side and they can do it whatever they want to. But yet we treat church and God as an option. What coach you heard said, hey, let's run 20 miles. Well, if you feel like it, of course. Coach, that's too hard. Well, okay, well, you guys just take the week off. Nobody's ever done that. Your drill sergeant, Travis, am I right? Do you get options? And yet with God, we, we let him work on our time and remind him how lucky he is to have us on our team. I had a player when I was in Mississippi tell me, man, if it wasn't for me, I don't know this team. I was like, all right, watch the next game. 
He didn't get to play next game because I wanted him to see how lucky we were without him. We were very lucky. We were very lucky. We won easily. He wasn't even that good. I don't know why he said it. Don't settle, y'all. Stop letting everything that the schools want your child to be involved with cause you to say, well, we have no more time and energy and money for the church. Well then, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. On that day, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty things in your name? And I will say unto them, declares the Lord, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So make sure that we're doing the will of God and that we know Christ. Amen. Let's pray.